Romans, we've been looking at God kind of showing us salvation and what it means to be saved and, and what happens to us at salvation. This has been a great book, a great study. It answers a lot of questions about like, what about the people that never had a chance to hear and how could a holy God send them to hell? And, and I explained to you, I, I had a great opportunity yesterday to have a long conversation with a guy I've known for a little while. And I, I told him, I said, listen, everybody knows, everybody in the world knows they have two witnesses based on uh, how God wired us. Number one, creation. Number two, conscience. Uh, tribes in Africa that know nothing of the Bible and know nothing of the law, know nothing of right and wrong, know this. They know it's wrong to take your neighbor's wife. They know it's wrong to kill. It's naturally in you. You have an instinct in you that tells you right from wrong. It's called a conscience. And what you're watching go on in this world, and it's one of the signs that the Lord's getting close to coming, because as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It's not just wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in diverse places and all the rest of the weird weather patterns. That's all part of it. But the best indication of how close we're getting is the hearts of men and where they're at. The fact that people are so cotton-picking evil that they say it's right to do wrong and wrong to do right. That they say homosexuality is okay, and they say it's okay to chop your body up and mutilate it and shoot your yourself full of hormones and stuff that make you crazy. That make you crazy. And that's all right. Uh, my daughter said one of the one of the little chats, because they do homeschool, uh, it's a public homeschool, and uh, she said one of the little chat rooms, there's a girl on there, she was sending me uh, screenshots of it. She said there's a girl on there just witnessing away and speaking up for Jesus Christ and talking about God and saying the reason that you're on all that medication is because you don't know Jesus, and if you knew Jesus, you'd have some peace or something along those lines. And the teacher butt in and said, well, we don't push our opinions on other people. We let everybody figure out what's best for them. And she said, it's strange that it was grieving her. She was almost crying. She's like, my teacher is shutting down the girl trying to talk about Jesus, but she supports and doesn't say a word to any of them that talk about being lesbians or homos or transvestite or any of the rest of that stuff. That's one of the signs you're in the end times. You're sinning against your conscience to a point where now all of a sudden it's minor attracted persons. Hogwash. Hogwash, no it's not. And they're furries, some cute little name. No, it's called bestiality according to the Bible. It's an abomination in the eyes of God. And God drowned out the whole world in Noah's day, including the animals. Why do you think including the animals? Why do you think only certain animals made it on the ark and God himself, through the instinct that's in those animals, sent those animals to the ark? Because he was sending the ones that were still pure. There weren't a lot of them. That's your Greek mythology and all the rest of that stuff. And folks, you've come full circle. We're almost back there again. Creation and conscience. When a man kills his conscience, he's done himself a horrible disservice. Moms and dads, you better train your kids to have a conscience. Don't you ever get them to kill their conscience. Don't you ever talk somebody into sin. I know a preacher that at one point thought that women shouldn't wear pants, you know, so his wife was wearing skirts all the time. And a few years went by and he said nothing. And she came in one day and said, uh, honey, what do you think if I bought some pants? And he said, oh, I don't care. She said, you don't? He said, no, I don't care. She said, how long have you felt that way? He said, oh, a few years. She said, well, why didn't you tell me? He said, because you said it was your, your standard, your, your personal belief, your conscience. I don't want you to sin against your conscience. Even though he went from one viewpoint to like, wait a minute, maybe I got brainwashed by some crazy guys and I, that's really not biblical. And he made the adjustment in his head and just stopped pushing that stuff on other people from the pulpit. He didn't even say anything to his own wife because he didn't want his wife to kill her conscience. That's a good man. 
You don't ever encourage somebody to kill their conscience. God gave you creation and conscience. On top of that, God gave you the law. That was what we dealt with as we're going through Romans. The Jews had the law, and under the law they were sold under sin. The Gentiles didn't have the law, and by creation and conscience they are still sold under sin. The answer to your sin problem is Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, how are you justified? Tells you right there. You know what a lot of the new Bibles do? They drop the phrase by faith. Therefore, being justified, we have peace with God. If your Bible doesn't have by faith right there, you don't have the true word of God. You got something some man wrote and, and copyrighted to make money. You better know how you're justified. The Bible says every word of God is pure. And he promised he'd preserve it from this generation forever. When a man comes in and rewrites the Bible and starts changing words like that, he starts messing up some things that will mess up your eternal soul. How are we justified? By faith, not by works, not by the law. To be justified is to be, it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's to take a sinful person and declare him righteous in spite of the fact that he's a sinner. Ain't that what every one of us needs? And how are you justified? By faith. And as a result of that, we have peace with God. Man, ain't that great? Folks, there is nothing like having peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ain't you thankful for Jesus? You wouldn't have any peace with God if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have peace with God. Because you haven't been justified. Your sin's still on your account. When God looks at you, all He sees is a little sinner. These stupid preachers, excuse me, these stupid preachers that tell, tell you this, well, we're all the children of God. Where'd you get that from the Bible? I know you heard that and it sounds real good and it makes you feel right so you just run off saying it. But where do you see that in the Bible? How about ye of your father the devil, the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and, know, uh, and, and know, knew not the truth. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own because he is a liar and the father of it. That was Jesus I'm quoting. We're not all children of God. You don't become a child of God until you do with God's son what he tells you to do with his son. We're justified through the Lord Jesus Christ, not through ourselves. And then in verse number 2, by whom? By Jesus Christ. Also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So by Jesus Christ, because of what He did for us on the cross, we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. Now here's what I want you to understand. Look at the phrase, wherein we stand. It's very important for you to understand the difference between your standing and your state. Now, here's how I explain that in a way that works for my mind. I do word associations often to help me memorize something I need to memorize. Where is Jesus Christ right now, according to the Bible? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, right? And He ever liveth to make intercession for us. So, Jesus Christ is seated... At the right hand of the throne of God right now. Your standing is sitting. Your standing is in Jesus Christ. In other words, when God looks at you based on your standing, if you're saved, all He sees is Jesus Christ. He doesn't see your sin. 
I'm talking about for your eternal soul. I'm talking about based on whether or not God's going to let you in heaven or hell. Your standing is by grace and it's in Jesus Christ. So your salvation is as secure as Jesus Christ is. I mean, he's the creator of heaven and earth. You understand that, right? He spoke the thing into existence. He came down here, became a man, lived the perfect life in your place, died on the cross of Calvary, descended into hell, came up out of hell. He walked out of hell. He turned around. He had the keys of death and hell, right? He walks out the gates of hell, turns around and locks them behind him, and then goes back up to the third heaven. You're talking about power like you ain't never seen or known, like no nuclear bomb could ever, ever even come close. You're talking about the power of the universe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're as secure as he is. In other words, if you're born again, you're not going to hell. The closest thing you're ever going to see to hell is this life. <laughs> And it can get pretty bad sometimes, but not as bad as hell. I mean, they say, they say war is hell on earth. Well, it's not as bad as hell, but it's probably the closest people would get here. It's bad. Your standing is in Jesus Christ. Your state. What's your state? Anybody know where you live? What state do you live in? That's on this earth, right? There's a difference between your standing and your state. Your standing is in Jesus Christ, and it's by Him you have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. But my state is different. You know, your state is constantly in a state of flux. One day you're walking with the Lord like you should, the next day you're not. So although He does not see your sin in regards to whether or not He's going to send you to hell... In regards to whether or not He's going to judge you and whoop the snot out of you in this life, in regards to whether or not He's going to bless you in this life, in regards to whether or not He's going to give you rewards at the judgment seat of Christ in the next, your state has everything to do with it. That's why when people say, all oh, you people that believe in eternal security, I mean, I just don't know how you can believe somebody could, could be in the middle of smoking a crack pipe and die and go straight to heaven. Well, it's because you don't understand your Bible. That, I mean, that's fine. I, I get that it seems crazy to you. But my salvation I didn't get by my works. And my salvation I don't keep by my works. We're going to get into it on Sunday night. It's just kind of amazing to me looking over these next three chapters and Sunday morning where we're going to be in Sunday night. It's just the Lord lining the thing up, man. It's wild. But we'll look at it on Sunday night. There's some people that if they don't endure to the end, if their works don't match their faith, they go to hell. But it, it cannot, listen to me, I'm going I'm to hammer it on Sunday night. It can't be you. You are not going into the tribulation. Do you understand that? I don't care what YouTube videos you watch. I don't care what idiot is making... I don't care how much money the idiot has to make it look like a really good video. You're not going into the tribulation because you can't lose your salvation. And those people in the tribulation can. So this whole you know, post-tribulation rapture garbage... We're going to look at the post-tribulation rapture Sunday night. It is not you... I don't think we have one Jewish male virgin in the room. I'll show you. It's very clear who those people are. You, you, you got to just study your Bible. So your state is very different than your standing, and your state does matter as a Bible believer. We understand that we don't just go out and live like the devil and just feel like, oh, it's going to be great, we get away with it. 
You're not going to find me at the bar on Friday night. You can check every bar in this whole country. You're not going to find me by the grace of God at the bar on Friday night. You know why? Not because I'm afraid of losing my salvation. Is I'm afraid of my Heavenly Father kicking the snot out of me. That's why. Because I don't want to lose the things that I've wrought if I've got anything. I don't want to lose what I've gotten. I try to keep my accounts short with the Lord. I try to have a daily and multiple times a day confession with Jesus Christ. I want to keep those accounts as short as I can. I do believe He's coming soon. I do believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That means He might come back tonight, and I'm good with it if He does. And you know what, folks? For all we know, Israel's going to turn the Gaza Strip into powder. And anybody else, Hezbollah or any of the rest of them that try anything, they're going to smoke them. And then this one's going to blow over. And then all the politicians are going to get going. And the spirits that's moving and all the principalities and powers are going to keep moving. And everything demonic that's going on in this world, and it is, is going to keep going on. And your Heavenly Father is going to sit back in heaven. And he's going to push that string and pull that string and let that one go and move that one there and bump that one over here. And then let those things do, though, because He knows what He's doing. He's put it in His own power. And you might live another 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and then the trumpet sounds. You don't know. You don't know. You know how many people are freaking out about COVID? Because it was a worldwide phenomenon. And they're mobilizing the National Guard, and this is it, and the timing is right, and this is probably the rapture, and look at what's going to happen, and this is a great opportunity for the Antichrist to step up and solve all the problems of the world. And, and they were going on and on that COVID was it. Remember Y2K? Some of you still probably have canned goods in your basement. <laughs> Listen, man, don't, don't get caught up in it. Who cares? If you believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, then your state, you're going to live in this state, in this life, the way He wants you to live, and then you're ready to rock. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's go. And then if He waits... You weren't some fool running after the latest news headline and jumping on board with everybody's emotions and drama and getting all whacked out and getting stupid and, and losing your credibility with the people you're witnessing to by telling them this is it and then it doesn't happen. It's an imminent return of Jesus Christ. He can come back when He wants. So live every day in such a way that when you see Him, you're not embarrassed of your state. But understand that your standing is in the Lord Jesus Christ and they're very different. Now, look at this. And rejoice in... You guys see that word? Hope of the glory of God. Now, wait a second. I'm going to run some references with you because as Americans, especially in modern day America, we see the word hope and we think it means fingers crossed, right? I hope I win the lottery. Well, you're not going to, okay? You understand the odds on that? <laughs> and if you do, remember me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's not, that's not a biblical hope. By the way, that is one of the definitions of hope, and I'll show you the verses. But let me show you what hope actually is. Go to the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 26. I want to run some references with you on hope, because I, I feel like, honestly, I feel like tonight that's what we need. Uh, the news is just bad, and it's, it, look, they're, they're always trying to drum it up. You hear me preach about that all the time, trying to encourage you not to get caught up in all the fear-mongering that goes on in the news. And they're just hammering you with every negative and controversial thing they can dig up, right? Getting you all worked up. And then something real happens. 
What's going on in Israel right now is actually legitimate news. That's real. And it's atrocious. And it's big. And it's terrible, right? And it can wear you out after a while as a Christian. I want you all to have some hope. Look, I want you to be happy. God says it's going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and it's going to ramp up. So I'm telling you right now, you better start training your heart and your mind how to operate in these last days, or you're going to lose it. Acts chapter 26, look at verse 6. Now I stand and am judged for the hope of the what? Promise made, unto the God, made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused of the Jews. Do you know what he just said about the hope? Are his fingers crossed, gambling that it's going to happen? He said, for the hope of the promise. Biblical hope isn't, I hope he's going to come back before the tribulation. You're looking for that blessed hope. It's a promise. You just don't know when it's going to happen. So I hope it's today. It's not a matter of whether or not it's going to happen. Look at Acts chapter 24, verse 26. Here's a different kind of hope. He hoped also that money should be given him of Paul that he might lose him. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener and commune with him. You see what a worldly hope is? I hope I hit the lotto. That's a worldly hope. And guess what? That one will let you down almost every time. What's the chances? One in 300 million or something like that? Is it something? Does anybody know? Y'all passed the test. Good job. <laughs> Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 18. Watch this. Here's biblical hope for you. He says, Who against hope, human hope. In other words, Abraham didn't have a chance. Right? He was old. Her womb was dead. Who against hope believed in what? Two different hopes. That he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And he being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. See it? When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the <laughs> promise of God through unbelief. You know, you know what Abraham had? He had hope. And the hope Abraham had was in a promise. He said, if God said he can do it, then I hope he does today. Not, I hope he will. I hope he does now. It, he, just, he believed God was going to do it. Go to Romans chapter 15. Look at verse 4. Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have... Okay, so what that means is, God wrote the Old Testament so you can go back there and study your Bible and see the problems, troubles, tribulations, and trials that God's people went through, and then when you run into your own, you can sit there and say, I know how God operates based on what the Bible says, so I hope the end of this is now. But I know that it's going to end sooner or later. I hope it turns out soon. 
but I know it's going to turn out. You understand biblical hope? Biblical hope isn't crossing your fingers, maybe we got it, maybe we don't. I can't stand it when people and Christians are wishy-washy and weak in their faith. Look at verse 13, Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you might abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You know what God wants to give you through the power of the Holy Ghost? He's a God of hope. And He wants to give you hope tonight. You've got to understand that God's got some good things in store for you if you're saved. You've got to understand that if you're going through troubles and trials we'll get to in just a second, God's going to bring some good stuff out of it. Don't quit on God in your problems. Don't quit on God because life has been hard. Don't quit on God because people have hurt you. Don't quit on God because He hasn't given you what you want yet. Just stay with the Lord and understand that God's going to work everything out in His time. It's a promise. And fill yourself with the hope that that's going to happen sooner rather than later. I mean, I hope the rapture comes soon. I've lived long enough. I'm sorry, you younger folks. I know you hate to hear this, but, you know, tough luck on you. I know you wanted to get married and have kids and all this other stuff, and life's all ahead of you and everything. I think it's all downhill from here. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I mean, I think it's all downhill from here. I set a PR this week on my deadlift, and I think I died. I think I'm dying. I'm not sure what's going to happen. But I don't know if I really hurt myself or not. You understand what I'm saying? It's all downhill from here. I mean, I've just seen enough of this world and enough of life to say, listen, it would be great if the Lord just comes and gets us out of here. I'd be, uh, please pray that he waits until Grace gets back. <laughs> I know we'll meet in the air and all the rest of that stuff, but I really want my family around me, at least my wife. If the girls get married and take off, well, that's their loss. But, you know, at least my wife. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 9. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. Now, now here's what this is saying, and we're not going to get into all this. It's a whole other subject. But he's talking about providing for the, the carnal things, for the preacher that provides spiritual things to you. And what he's saying in this verse is he's saying it this. He's saying, does God care for oxen? So the example is you feed the oxen because the oxen does the work. So you feed it, it does the work. So it's not a big deal for you to feed carnal things to the preachers while he's feeding you spiritual things. But look at the point I'm making. He says, does he say it? Altogether, or saith he, does God care for oxen at the end of verse 9? Or saith he, altogether for our sakes, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth, the preacher, is plowing the fields, should plow in hope. Not, fingers crossed, and I hope somebody gets something out of the message, and I hope they grow spiritually, and I hope there's a change in their life. But like genuine hope, like the Bible works. So I'm going to dig in and I'm going to study and I'm going to run the references and I'm going to try to teach them this concept and I'm going to nail this thing down as well as I can so that all the, all the doubts in their minds are gone and all the excuses that the devil tries to use and I'm going to fight against the false doctrine and I'm going to really try to nail this stuff down so they understand this because the Bible has power and he's got all that hope, like a real hope, like not I think it's going to work, like no, I know it works. And what he's saying is when he does that and he's plowing in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. So in other words, it's like, wow, actually it is working. 
You say, you mean like money means it's working? Like, like providing for, means it's, yes. We're, we're fixing to do this addition. We're, we actually got to pull our first draw on the loan because $29,000 of what's already been done has come in even though we hit the pause button, a bunch of stuff had already been ordered and all that stuff is twenty nine grand. And we got to drop probably looking like it's going to be 150000 cash on top of the loan for the fire suppression system. That's nerve-wracking for a preacher. And you just plow. You don't go after the money. And I never have, so I reserve the right to say something. I think I've earned that over these years, and you know I'm not after your money. But I'll tell you this, what happens, this is what happens. When you give to make this thing get done, to make this ministry move forward, to put an addition on, you know what it tells me? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It tells me you love this ministry. It tells me you love the Word of God. It tells me that you value what's going on here. And it's like, wow, I, I, like my hope is I'm actually partaking of it. Like, what a blessing. You see how that works? It's a spiritual hope. And it's a spiritual hope proven in this lifetime. Look at Colossians chapter 1. And for any of you visitors, we never passed a plate one time in 16 years. We've never passed a plate and I've never pushed people for money. And I think everybody knows that. It ain't about the money, it's about your soul. Colossians chapter 1 verse 5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherefore, whereof ye heard before in the word of the gospel, uh, of the truth of the gospel. Well, is the gospel like, I hope it works? I hope I'm going to heaven? No. I'm looking forward to that day. It's just not here yet. So it's a great hope in my heart that it's coming, boy. It's coming. All right, one more. Look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Look at verse 2. He says, In hope of eternal life. That's not a fingers crossed. Which God that cannot lie promised. See it? You guys see what hope is in the Bible? You define hope the way modern day English defines it and you don't have a prayer. Now, now I said one more but I lied. Please go to Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 13. He says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what you're supposed to be looking for? Somebody to bomb Israel. The whole world to turn against Israel. The Antichrist to set up his throne in Jerusalem and declare that he's God. No. You're supposed to be looking for Jesus Christ. That's your blessed hope. And I'll, I'll nail it down for you Sunday night. I'll nail it down for you. You're not going through the tribulation. They have a different plan of salvation. So how can you be there? If you're promised eternal life, but in the tribulation period you have to endure to the end, tell me where you went. You're not there. Biblical midgets that are telling you that you're going through the tribulation. You know, I don't care if they got, you know, hundreds of thousands of YouTube viewers. They don't know what they're talking about. They can't rightly divide the word of truth. They don't understand their Bible. So I don't care what you see going on. God's getting you out first. Thank God for that. Back to Romans chapter 5. Now watch this. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so... So he's talking about 
salvation, what you're standing in, the grace wherein you stand. But we glory in tribulations also. So now he's talking about your state. He said, we don't just rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We don't just rejoice in the fact that we're saved and that one day we're going to heaven. But also we glory when it gets on here. Why? Because we know some things. What do we know about tribulations? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Listen, I don't want to underestimate you. I think preachers underestimate the people they're preaching to when they try to tell them you got your best life now. That's awful. That's awful easy for you to say sitting in your multi-million dollar mansion while people and living in, in, in poverty are coming in and giving to your ministry. You jerk. Amen. Why don't you walk around with $100 bills and hand them out to everybody in your, in your uh, church that's uh, under, the, under the poverty level. I'm, I underestimate you. I'm not going to underestimate you like that. No, Jesus said in the world, you shall have tribulation. You still want to get saved? Yes, sir. <laughs> he said, take up thy cross and follow me. Still want to get saved? You should, because if you don't, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. You're not that stupid, are you? I mean, that's stupid. That's absolutely stupid to say, no, I won't take a free gift of salvation. I want to burn in hell. I'm not being mean. If, if you're not saved, I'm not being mean. I'm just saying that's a stupid concept. Now, you know, you'll, you'll remember me when you're standing at the great white throne judgment and God's going to flash this before you. Well, he offended me. He said I was stupid. God's like, he was right. You're stupid. Now go to hell. <laughs> That's a stupid thing to walk away from a free gift. After God did what he did for his son, all he asks you to do is come bow your knee and admit you're a sinner and accept the free gift of salvation. Well, I don't know. I just was afraid what the Lord might ask from me. I didn't want to give up. What? Divorce? Drug addiction, fornication, adultery, and all the heartbreak and pain and psychological and emotional distress that comes with all of it. That's what you're giving up when you come to Jesus. And if you've already been through it all, just come to Jesus. He'll wash it away. That's a great thing about Him. But I can't imagine somebody not getting saved because they want to sin. You're an idiot. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It's a, it's a cancer. You understand that? And He's offering you eternal life. What a great thing. And as a Christian, we can glory in the tribulations that come in the Christian life. Instead of walking around, it's so hard serving the Lord. Yep, it can be. You got all the same problems everybody else does, and then at the same time, you got to crucify your flesh with the affections and lusts and put yourself down and say no to yourself so that you can please God with your life. It can be. But we're supposed to be glorying in tribulations because we know something about them. Tribulation worketh patience. I hate that word. You have never met a more impatient person than me. Okay? That's like, let's go. Let's go. Hurry up. Let's go. Let's take it so long. Come on, let's go. Let's go! Why? Because I'm waiting. Time is money. Let's go! You know what I've had to learn with time? And you know what does it for you? When you have some real, and I mean real problems. I'm talking about the kind of problems that suck the oxygen out of the room. I'm not talking about the kind of problems that, you know, you make up because you're a drama queen or a drama king. Because you're a stinking brat. Because you're a spoiled American. 
I'm talking about problems that suck the oxygen out of the room where all of a sudden everything that matters to you doesn't matter anymore and life comes into real focus. And you feel like you could puke. And you don't have a desire for food like we'll see Sunday morning because you're so far down, you're not even hungry. I don't think I can eat. No, I can't either. And that's not just a one-day thing. It's a day after day after day. You're just like, you start realizing you need to eat because you're getting twitchy. Real problems. You know what they do for you? They teach you to wait and slow down. The Bible says, Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You know it takes God time to work on you. God isn't in a rush. Brother Peacock said it the last time he was here, or the time before that, and it just hit me all fresh and new. I think, I don't know if I'd heard it before or not, but that was the time it burned into my soul. He said, you never one time find Jesus Christ running anywhere in the Bible. They're out in the middle of a storm about to die, and he comes walking on the water. God's not in a rush. So Christians, you get into tribulation, and you should glory in it, and you learn to be patient, because you know that tribulation is what works patience. And then patience does what? Patience gives you experience. You know, like, my, I remember Brother Lent saying years ago, he said, you can't start off where Mama and Papa finished. This generation. Boy, if he could see the generation now, he'd... You know, what, you, know what, you know what, there is something to be said for that. This isn't a put down to younger people, okay? Unless you're the type of younger person that gets offended by this, then shut up, you brat kid. But if it doesn't offend you, then I can respect you and say it's not a put down to the younger generation, but there are some things in life you don't get until you just live long enough to get there. So let me say it like this so you understand the heart that it's coming from after I just offended you. I know I'm not 65. And I realize that at 65, I think if I'm walking with God and staying close to Him and staying humble and staying in that book and letting God work on me, that I should offer some things to everybody that I serve that I can't offer at 45. And I know for a fact that at 45, I offer some things. I, I just didn't understand some stuff at 25. I just hadn't lived long enough to have a fresh perspective. So there's a usefulness. There's always a usefulness there if you'll give yourself to God where you're at. But with time and experience, that usefulness should grow. That's the process of life. That's what makes serving the Lord fun and exciting. You, I know some people think they've already made it, you know, like... Bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. You're here to dazzle everybody with your amazingness. But that's just not reality. You understand what I'm saying? We're all a process in work, and you ought to be useful at, at the point you're at now. And if you keep going for the Lord, your usefulness will grow. And tribulation is what God allows to grow you into patience and patience into experience. And then experience, what does experience produce? You see it? Now, here's, here's an application to that. I, I'm really almost done tonight, believe it or not. Here's an application to that. When I was younger, I used to freak out about the bills. Like, like bad. Like, I'd work, I'd get a second job, I'd be delivering, I'd come home from work and change into pizza delivery boy uniform with the hat on, the whole nine yards, married man with kids, 
run back out the door to start delivering pizzas and work till 11 o'clock at night. Just, I was always stressed about, it didn't matter that I just paid the bills and were good for a month. I was sitting down doing the math on next month's bills and what was coming in and what we had and how much, all the time. All the time. We couldn't go to the store and go grocery shopping without me freaking out over everything she was grabbing. It was terrible. We were, we were broke. We were very broke. And you know what I learned after a while? My wife finally looked at me one time and she just said, Mike, God has always provided for us. When are you going to figure that out? And she walked out of the room. Now you're going to have to deal with this tonight and Sunday because she's not here so I'm going to talk a lot about her because then she can't get mad at me. When she's here, I get in huge trouble. See what I'm saying? There's no couch for me this week. I got the bed. Uh, she hates it when I talk about her from the pulpit, but tough luck. I'm the man. Uh, anyways. <laughs> I'm testing to see if she listens when she's not here. <laughs> but man, she's helped me out a lot. Girl's smart. And it hit me. It hit me. I remember we were living at Colonial Court. And I remember like, you know what, you're right. And that, that sort of a switch in me flipped that day. And God's helped me with that since then. Now you get older, you get a little bit more established and it's different. But, but I got the victory back then when it wasn't different yet and it didn't get different for years after that. But God always met my needs. You understand what I'm saying? As long as I did my job and I worked hard and I wasn't being lazy and all the rest of that, God always came through eventually. And He always fed all four of those girls and He always fed me and He always fed my wife. And we never missed a mortgage payment and we never missed an insurance payment. And we never, never, we didn't miss a meal. We didn't have the greatest meals, but we didn't miss a meal. You know what that is? That's hope. That comes by experience where now when the going gets rough, you just know God's going to provide. Why? By experience. Now it's not like I hope God's going to come through. It's just I, I know He might not come through in my timing, but He's going to come through because I've learned who God is and how He works. And I've figured out that God really does do what God promises that He'll do. That's hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. You said God would and He didn't. Mm -mm. Nope. If you got a promise of God and you know that book and you, you can go ahead and step out there in faith and say, all right, God. I told, I told God, I said, we're, we're going we're gonna, to, I think it's time to do this addition thing and I know it's going to stretch us a little bit and you're going to have to show them, the church, you're going to have to show them. Now I'm stepping out here and I'm trusting you and you're going to have to show them. And then he sent us a check for $100,000. Before we got the bill for 150, I was a little upset about that. I, no, I was real upset about that. I was a little bit mad, you know. And then I stopped to think about it, and I thought, my heavenly Father knows what's best for His family, and He probably knows it's best for His kids to pay their own bills. But He knew we were going to get in a little bit over our heads, so He provided miraculously to keep us going. Man, ain't He good? <laughs> So you glory in tribulation. Why? Because you know. You, you just get to where you know. And it's an opportunity for you to prove yourself to God. And God to prove himself good again. And hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God. You see that? Is spread abroad in our hearts. That ain't your love. That's his love. 
inside of you by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now watch it. These next verses are going to go together in a big chunk, and it's easy. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Got it? You can't save yourself, you weak, pathetic thing. You can't even get the victory over a little white lie. Or over your lusts. Like Kelly, was it Kelly preached about the lusts or somebody did? You can't get the victory over that. You can't get the victory over nothing without the Lord. Let alone save your cotton-picking soul. You know what he did? He died for you. The ungodly. A perfect God died for ungodly people. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It can happen if he's a real good man. Somebody might step in and take a bullet for him. If he's a real good man, that's scarce. scarce. It's really scarce. If you've got a friend that would take a bullet for you, that's a rare, rare, rare thing, but it happens. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> he died for a wicked man, a sinful man, me. That's love. It's one thing to lay down my life for a guy I really appreciate. It's one thing for me to jump in in front of a bullet for a man who God used to change my life and help me and be a blessing to me. You learn to love him, appreciate him. That's one thing. It's a whole other thing for some deadbeat loser, scum, jump in front of a bullet for them. But that's what Jesus Christ did for you and me. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, much more than being now justified by his blood. His blood made it as though you never sinned. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If God loved you that much when you were lost, how much do you think He loves you now that you've trusted His Son as your Savior? <laughs> Man, God loves us. Now here it is, and we're done. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. First commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, with all thy strength. Seconds like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. Your love for each other protrudes from the love of God in you and understanding the way he loved you in spite of you enables you to love other people in spite of them. And then lost people come in here or visitors come in here in this tiny little church that don't look like much. And we ain't got a lot of power in the worldly sense. We don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of influence and fame. And they could walk in here, our, our, our folks, you know, our visitors, our neighborhood, our friends, our family, our community, the, the, the mission field God's put us in. And we can bring them in here and they walk in and say, well, this ain't a very big church and it ain't a very impressive church, but there's something real powerful about that church. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one toward another. Ain't that something else? Wow. Grabbing a hold of the love of God for you will help you learn to love other people. And man, it brings glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's go ahead and stop there and we'll dismiss, be dismissed in a word of prayer.
and uh, go ahead and get you out of here and hopefully uh, have a good service on Sunday. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you so much for loving us like you did. Help us to be patient when things get on.